On this episode, we're asking the questions, do the rich make you poor? And in order for someone to win, does someone have to lose? We're here to talk about bread, lettuce, cheese, dead presidents, green. It's just money, man. It's just money. Hi, welcome to It's Just Money. You've got your doctor. Dr. Matt Anderson, PhD in psychology. Your creative. Raul Contreras, filmmaker and designer. And I'm Jared Stafis, an entrepreneur with a master's in personal finance. Ultimately, this podcast is about people and their relationship with money. For today, I want to talk about the psychology of poverty. So kind of historically, the understanding of in the psychology world of poverty is that it was very much the individual. There was some character flaw or some um, lack of knowledge or that poor were responsible for in regards to being poor. But in kind of more modern psychology, there's been a kind of a pendulum swing that talks about how that it's really these external circumstances. So one study, which was really interesting, looked at this um, village in India and they were a agriculturally based village. So they got 60% of their income at one time of the year. And they did these IQ, IQ tests. They took one before the harvest when they were had their lowest income and then one few uh, weeks after the harvest. And they saw on average a 13 point difference in their IQ tests. And so that after when they had the money, their IQ actually raised up. So that study was taken by a lot of psychologists to kind of conclude, oh, it's really the external circumstances that make people poor. So those are the kind of the two ideas that have been kind of battling within psychology. Is, is it the individual's responsibility or is it the circumstances that surround them? So are you saying that the their actual IQ scores were higher if they had money? Mm-hmm. On average, after they received their money from the harvest, their IQ, IQ scores went up on average 13 points. What, did they know how to what, do like long division all of a sudden? Like, well, well, I'm just it, wondering I, why I, my dad didn't give me like a thousand bucks right before I took the ACT test. Like <laughs> probably I mean, would have improved my score apparently. Yeah. Well, I think there's probably two factors going on is that one is like the level of poverty. So obviously I think if you're your base level is higher. It's going to have less of effect, but if you're in kind of where they are, where they were, which is like kind of dire poverty until harvest, then it had a bigger effect. That's one factor. And the difference equates to a similar difference. Like if you didn't, if you pulled an all nighter and didn't sleep, that lack of sleep has about the similar effect on your IQ. So that's kind of the effect it has. You said one of the things early on is the lack of knowledge you were responsible for which I find curious because can you be responsible for something you don't know? Uh, yes. <laughs> Instinctive answer. Yeah. Why is it yes? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, is it yes? I guess I don't know. I'm second guessing if, myself. If nobody taught you and if you, I think it as always, it's more complicated, right? So in some sense, a child is not responsible for what they've learned because it was really the adults around them who were responsible for educating them. But at the same time, as we grow and age, we become, we had great uh, attain more agency, which means we are become more responsible for ourselves. And so there's a level to say we are responsible because responsibility, you, you get blame, but you also get freedom with responsibility. So you're, so that's the, because if you're not responsible, then you're also trapped in it. Mm-hmm. And well, so that's the challenge. With I that. guess I'm, I'm concerned. I'm 
worried about like when you're saying like the origins of poverty where like you go your civilization is literally kind of making this up as they go mm-hmm. you know that you are then responsible for something that you are at the time you would think everybody's making up these rules uh, okay and historically in historical terms prior to the industrial revolution and kind of the rise of what we call modern capitalism you know it, there was limited resources. So the resources, there was, it was a few that had a lot of resources and the many who had very little, uh, the fief system because of the limited resources that required there to be less the, the poor, but in sort of a modern capitalist system, it's actually, you can argue that poverty is more in reaction to lack of knowledge, lack and lack of opportunity. And it's, it's more political than actually not that we don't have enough resources for everybody. And I like what you were saying because it kind of jumps right into the topic where you're saying when there's a finite amount of resources, you know, certain people will take the jump on that, which mm-hmm. leaves the poor. I mean, doesn't that kind of answer our question already? So, I mean, I, at first, that framework already assumes that there are finite amount of resources. Yeah. Which, which I mean, is, there are in the world. Um, Unless it's, but they're not all mine. I mean, if if all the resources were already mined and available, and now Mm -hmm. we're just fighting for who gets it, but we're constantly discovering new resources. Uh, We live in an age where uh, resources are also IP, technology, trademarks, uh, art. I mean, so when people are in the middle of writing software that didn't exist the day before, I, I think most people would agree that's a resource. So when they write that piece of software, that that is a resource now available to the world that they're selling. Mm-hmm. So new resources are being created and generated on a regular basis, mm-hmm. let alone new resources being found in like, like de- like natural deposits. I mean, that's going to happen less frequently at this point. New ones are showing up, but people are definitely taking current resources and putting them together in new scientific ways and creating new things. Right. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't think it's easy to say that it's finite. But that's, that's kind of what I mean in terms of, you know, it used to be, it used to be tangible, like earthly resources, if you will. And now there's sort of like, it's almost like humanity was like, wait, what if we just made up our own value instead of using gold? Yeah, we, we kind of, that, gold was a limiting, um, it was, it was a lot of work. I, I, I both, uh, it's it's really hard because there's obviously a huge debate about whether the government actually was just tricking everybody, duping everybody. But at the same time, you know, people who love Bitcoin don't mind. It's not backed by gold. They're just agreeing on a value. The thing they love about it is it can't be manipulated like our money can. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that it being backed by anything really does matter. It matters more about can people just completely manipulate the system and make it be whatever they want. Mm-hmm. So, hey, we'll print twice as much money. We can control how much money is worth versus a system like that was backed by gold because ultimately gold, the only reason it was backed by gold and it was so effective is because it was it was a calculated, like they could calculate how much gold was in the entire world. Shoot, let's make water the value system. <laughs> Everyone's rich. Yeah, well, everybody's the, rich. And even the thing about gold. Water is actually one of the most valuable resources Uh that's like true. my biggest stock. You tip. can't eat you want to, if you want to invest in a stock, I mean, I, one of the first advice I got was uh, invest in water. It's going to be, hmm. uh, the future will be fought over, uh, natural water. 
Yeah. The problem with that assumption is that it assumes that people will not come up with creative solutions. An example of that with the water issue is actually Israel. Israel produces, is actually becoming a net exporter of water through its desalination plants, which they have the most efficient desalination plants in the world. Desalination is using ocean water and creating it into fresh water. And historically, it took a lot of energy. But they figured out ways, technology, to make it a lot with a lot less technology. And so they actually are going to building pipelines to send it to Jordan um, to give water to them. So that so even water, because of human ingenuity, can go from a scarce resource, especially in the Middle East, to mm-hmm. an abundant resource. That's amazing. I did need a piece of paper. I need to write, write it myself a note. One, sell my stock because <laughs> it's climbing right now. <laughs> so I think to me that that goes to even gold. Gold itself, it has value to us, but it what it it's not a fixed value. I mean, the value of gold has been going up, right? Yes, but it goes up and it goes down. So even value, even gold doesn't have a fixed value in that sense, because money. I think this is goes to the question of what is money. Money is just a physical representation or even digital one now of value. So if we are producing new things with our ideas that are bringing value to the world, that's creating more money because money is just a physical representation of value. So that's kind of my way of understanding that, you know, it it isn't finite. It's infinite in the sense of human ingenuity. We can create value kind of without end. Mm-hmm. That's the positive outlook. Yes. Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Just, as long as I can come up with something. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Genius. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, even in what we all do, right. None of us are building anything of natural, like none of us are farmers yep. or mine. Like you make videos. Videos are value you're creating out of nothing. In essence, from your, except for your ideas and, you know, some technology. Hey, you've got money questions. We've got money answers. It's just money live is coming up. Check out our Facebook page for details. Make sure you don't miss your opportunity to participate. All right, we'll see you then. If I have this groundbreaking thought, um, there's two ways you could go about it, right? You can just spread the thought around and have everybody understand what you're talking about, or you can monetize it and sell it to people while you're getting rich just based off the, the, the thought you initially had for free, which one is morally better? Sure. Well, most people don't get rich off thoughts. Well, sure. That was yeah. just an example. Yeah. It does bring the question, you know, there's some, the more complex moral questions are things like that actually affect somebody's health or life. Yeah. Let's not get into the medical industry. I mean, Pharmaceuticals. <laughs> yeah. That's right. exactly. I mean, just, uh, you know, the technology for like diabetes and all that kind of stuff. Like it's outrageous. Yep. It's, that's definitely a pharmaceuticals gets into a very complex conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is usually with all these conversations that people have is how much would it hurt everybody if you didn't allow them to reward themselves? I mean, does, mm-hmm. does basically development and research stop? Because I will just go somewhere else where I do make the money. Mm-hmm. But it kind of ties into the point what you were saying, though, in pharmaceuticals, like, are the rich making you poor? It kind of is if you're spending all of your money just to live how the rich, what, what, whereas to the rich, you know, it's kind of a small sum. 
and to the poor, it's kind of, it's everything to them, you know? So kind of going back to that ideas of are the poor responsible alone for their poverty or is it society broadly that's responsible for their poverty? Um, I wanted to kind of bring up some the research of how poverty affects the poor. So one is that, you know, if you ever struggled with money, it's stressful. So the poor kind of have this constant state of stress and the stress can um, make you more risk averse. You don't want to take risks that, you know, because you think you're going to fail and so it can cause more pain. And then you're also, it tends to make you short-sighted. You don't think long-term because you're just thinking, how do I survive? Both of these are what they call the scarcity mindset that really kind of make us, it kind of perpetuate poverty for a lot, for a lot of people because it, it's hard to make the decisions that lead to you getting out of poverty. And so, so the research kind of shows the effects, but then I've seen different psychologists come up with different interpretations of it. So interpretation one is, well, let's come up with programs or ways to help individuals kind of overcome the scarcity effect. Or the other interpretation is, hey, let's come up with programs that, you know, change the society so that there isn't space for people to be poor, like universal income. Yeah. Universal basic income yeah. as a way to do that. So there's these kind of two mindsets. I just wonder what you guys think. What do you fall on those? What do you think of the benefits, the challenges to those? It sounds like a, a, a duh idea. Like, duh, why isn't that a thing? Well, I mean, psychologically I'm, I'm for me, I have, I have a pretty strong bent towards, I, I think humans are most happy when they're productive. I, I do think that people do like to work. Mm -hmm. Obviously there's lots of work that people don't like to do and there's things that people shouldn't have to do, but we still make them do it because mm -hmm. we have this belief that somebody should. I think a lot of people are afraid if we give a universal income that they're rewarding people being lazy or that people won't work. I don't think they're necessarily right about what will happen, but I do think that that is a reasonable fear or thought to have and how would that play out? You know, how does that affect the rest of society if we do this? You know, anything big like that creates fear, fear of the unknown, if nothing else. Mm -hmm. The challenge is if, if what I, my concept of money, which isn't mine, but the one I agree with is that money is just a physical representation of value. So you're creating value in your work and then you receive money in exchange for the value you create. If you're getting that money for no value, just because you exist or a citizen or something, then you're actually not creating money. You're just taking money that had to come from somewhere else, from somebody else or some, something else that was creating value. And so I think that's the challenge with that. And I agree with Jared. I think there's this inherent need to feel productive and useful that could really be jeopardized by it. Yeah, people say, oh, then that gives people freedom to do charitable things or things that don't pay but bring value, which is true. But that that doesn't necessarily – not everyone's going to go that direction, yeah. right? I can see, yeah, on the flip side, it, it doesn't help uh, create responsibility for our world. Right. Yeah, not at all. It, it doesn't teach any lessons. It doesn't – yeah. Now, there's – like I said, I do actually think that – Give it enough decades, you might find your, ourselves in a, a situation where uh, I mean, I, what is it? Was it Wally? 
Uh, was that the well, movie that yeah. actually mm-hmm. did this? Oh, yeah. I mean, where everything was so advanced that there was nothing for humans to actually work on. And they on. were so fat yeah. and they just yeah. flew in their chairs. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a fantastic movie because yeah. it really pushed into a, an extreme. Mm-hmm. And extremes make you think. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. And they did it in a safe way as a cartoon. Mm-hmm. I think my challenge to that idea that AIs and robotics is just going to remove work from life is that that's what people predicted about the tractor and about mechanism and about, you know, and we work, I mean, we don't work as, as much. We have a two day weekend instead of a one day weekend. But I mean, there's people in the twenties predicting that we'll have three day work weeks. And then I read something last year about talking about, we'll have three day work weeks. And it didn't happen back then. We find new ways to create work for ourselves because we need it. I think I was being more of a pessimist. Uh, I agree with you 100%, and that's why it could even be far enough out. I was literally just imagining a future, and I I just don't imagine myself being capable of being intelligent enough to participate in the workforce mm. that is creating these things that are so advanced. But maybe even the me of 100 years from now is building on all the knowledge of previous people, and maybe computers and the AI are mm-hmm. assisting me to actually help work. That's what they're saying is that AI is going to probably remove less jobs than we think. Cause what it ends up is the most effective thing is people interacting with a robot or with AI. But I do think AI will replace the lower income jobs first before it replaces, then perpetuates the idea of are the rich making the poor. The poor? Yeah. Yeah, the repetitive, the low skilled mm-hmm. labor being less and less. So I, I think that's that's true. And I, yeah. I think it's most important that as a society we are creating new paths and avenues mm-hmm. um, for these jobs to be replaced. Right. And it, yeah, there's two two things that come to mind. One is it's interesting that we're talking about this in a period of time when we have like such low unemployment that there's these kind of fears about there not being enough work. It's just kind of an interesting timing. Yeah, we we are. Because we don't know the future. One thing humans are historically good at is not predicting predicting the future. (laughs) Because we're really bad at that. Psychologically, I kind of don't like the universal basic income because of its tendency to take out meaning out of people's lives. The other part of me is I prefer the universal basic income from from the kind of complex... services that we do provide to the poor. So it's not yes. in our, in our, as in the United States, yeah. we provide a lot of services and things to the poor. I mean, we spent a lot of money on the poor in the United States, but it's such a convoluted bureaucracy with so many like high paid professionals who are there to take care of the poor, who they get like, I forgot the statistic I heard, but so high, like 40% of the money that goes into government programs for the poor goes to pay salaries for bureaucrats. Yeah, it's huge. You'd need less people if you were just literally giving people money. For me, efficiency, I'd rather the poor, the money that we're already allocating to give them, I'd rather them get more of it. Mm -hmm. And so that part of me is pro-universal basic income if it replaces all that other stuff. Because there's also deep meaning on both sides for private charity. And if this universal basic income really kind of removes the motivation for private charity, which is not just, oh, so that I will give money to the poor because it makes me feel better. It's more that I'm responsible for my, for my neighbors. And so that's for the, for the poor among me. So I, I'm freely giving the amount 
and I might even give more than the government takes from me. You know, that doesn't like, so there's part of me that's like, there's something really valuable about that and to get rid of I guess of the I never imagined that going away in what I described. I'm more. Yeah. yeah what I'm I was going to say is like, it's, it's more behind the scenes. You're not seeing the money being transferred. Although is it the idea that you feel better because you can physically hand something over to somebody else? Yeah. Right. I think there's, I, I, which that is true. There is a psychological, I mean, right, we know there is, giving right. actually is right. very psychologically uh, positive producing for the individual. But mm-hmm. what I imagine still those private charities still exist. I mean, I'm still going to give to something for a kid that gets cancer, right? Like this kid doesn't survive on $24,000 a year. The mom can't help the kid who only has $24,000. She might've actually been in a wealthy job and lost it all. because She was in a car accident. Like, mm-hmm. so there's still tons of opportunity to give you can give time you can help you 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 now remove money from the scenario and if somebody needs more help and they're not having some other circumstance Mm -hmm. you you know now it's what what do you need education do you need time do you need relationship uh, relationship yeah um and it kind of removes the because money is Mm. so convoluted it kind of removes actually some of that burden of how am I going to help this person yeah. with that? You did. You actually, and that was, you actually changed my, my, you made me think about it and change some of my thoughts about the universal making income, having that negative effect on people giving to charity. Thank you for listening or watching. It's just money. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If so, please subscribe. So you don't miss out. Also leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, please comment below. But remember, it's just money. Thanks for sticking around. Here's a clip from our next episode. So I just, I wanted to ask you guys, where do you fall? Do you fall on that the individual is responsible for their poverty? Or is it the society that's responsible for people being poor? And then I see those people are usually the loudest to blame society. I mean, if you already have an opinion about somebody because they came from a lower economic status, whatever the case, you know, are you going to be, are they going to invest in you as much as they would somebody else who has money and who is a safer bet?